Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know, I'm always inspired by other people's life stories. So I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. Have you ever thought about your ancestors, wondering who they are, where they come from, what your own connection to them might be? Serena Mitchell is a historian and a dreamer, a storyteller, who guides us through oracles and ritual and ceremony, taking us into ancient landscapes to connect with stories that are old, but hold a magic for us. As she shares with us the knowledge that she has gleaned from so much of her own experience, we are reminded that to connect to our ancestors, to bring them a little bit more fully into our lives is a necessity that they cannot be forgotten if we are to truly learn and grow. Serena's is a fascinating story, not just in the old ways, but in some of the challenges we face in our homes, in our families, and the existence of what may not truly serve us. Serena Mitchell, great to have you here. Hi. It's Hi, we've seen each other, but we had a way of connecting through dance and not just in, in the UK where we both live now, but in Oslo in Norway. Um, and I think that's, that's great. It's great that we met all the way over there. And then we've had this lovely connection ever since sort of between Brighton and Brighton and Brighton and Hastings and. And also Glastonbury. Yeah. Remember I came on the Somerset, I came on the week's intensive mandala oh right you did that's right yeah that was a spirit and also through lockdown on your online uh i mean prior to online because you were already you know a a master of zoom sessions (laughs) before we were all forced to onto zoom through doing your wheel of the medicine wheel sessions so i was attending i did about two or three years of going around the wheel you did that's amazing yeah because I mean zoom has just you know it's been fantastic through lockdown but it's been great I mean I've been using it for years so I was all lined up and ready to go when when lockdown happened and it was a pretty good year for me all too to say and I also did I think it was the first intake on your 13 week but at that point it was over 13 12 months or so many sessions that we went through a deep dive into the wheel it really was. It was a very deep yeah. dive, Serena. Yeah. So you've done a lot of that work. So yeah. you're, you're fully empowered now. <laughs> yeah. But what are you doing today? What's what's happening for you in your life right now? Well, I have my day job where I work as a communications manager at a university business school. So that keeps me very busy. Oh, what do you what does that entail? What, what well, you... um, basically, I, I, I run the or my team runs the social media channels for the business school. We 
tell stories about our, st our faculty, our students, our alumni. We manage our, our business school's website. Um, and really we're in the business of telling the story of the business school and the fantastic work that is coming out of, wow. of the school. And this is in Brighton. And this is, a, yeah, at University of Sussex. And we, um, yeah, it's it's very much storytelling. So I've been a storyteller throughout my career. My career is has 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 been through through not for profit, um, working for a disability char ch charity. I've worked for social services. I've spent many years as a civil servant working in the heart of government in Whitehall. Uh, so I know and understand how government works, uh, how regulation, government regulation works. So I've got this very, you know, kind of professional communications background. But really today I'm talking about my more spiritual uh, okay. work. Which is great for a sole purpose podcast. It is. Yes, that's ah. right. But I have the day job, but the day job also yeah. I bring skills into my other yeah. creative. I, I really like that, you know, you've been through all avenues of life in that sense, that you, you've been right there in the government offices. You know, you've understood the communication that goes on. And so you, you've got a, you've got a huge, a huge kind of landscape of storytelling and communication skills, haven't you? And and the knowledge that you've gained through that. So I think I think that's really fascinating. And um, you know, because I'm not I'm not big on that sort of corporate world at all. I don't I know very little about it. Um, but I like to hear other people's mm -hmm. stories around it. But interestingly, I've stayed away from actually working for private big corporates. My I think because I've always been somebody, even from a child, I wanted to work in service of others mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. that community sort of spirit. So I've been gravitated to to charity, working for not-for-profit and public sector, because okay. that ultimately is working for society. And mm -hmm. I haven't worked for private um companies that or only sort of here and there, but um because i feel i think the public sector not-for-profit sector and the char charity sector higher education aligns with my own value system right well tell us a little bit about that as a child you know how did you know that's what you wanted to be well, doing well i knew very early on i knew i wanted to help others you know even at school it was like I think I wanted to be different things. I've got so many interests. Part of me wanted to be a Hollywood actress and a movie star. Like every little girl. Another side of me really did want to be a social worker. I wanted to help others. And that I've had that 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 sense of wanting to help others all my life. And, yeah. and I've done a lot of work, internal work, and looking at patterns in my childhood and the, the greater family dynamic. Um, and I know having worked with you on, on doing family constellation work through movement, how powerful that is. And I think as a child, I was a caretaker of our family. I was the youngest child. My parents um, had me when my mum was 39. My dad was in his mid 40s. I wasn't uh, a planned child. I have two siblings, both much older, 10 and 15 years older than me. So really from the age of seven, I was an only child because both my siblings had left home. However, my parents' marriage by that time was in trouble. 
And I grew up with a lot of um, trauma in the family dynamic. And I was there um, really, I found a note that my mum wrote on a little, a little drawing I'd made. And she'd written, you know, Serena had, uh, you know, created this. And, you know, I, she's such a comfort in the, to me in these sad and difficult times. So obviously I was even at that time aware as a child that I was sort of carrying a weight of the family and wanting everything to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I had a very troubled relationship with my father. I mean, he was very adventurous. He lost his life in a single-handed BOC around the world yacht race in 1995. I grew up sailing it with, with my family. It was like swallows and Amazons, childhood, lots and lots of adventure. However, there was a tough side to it. And I can see through all the ancestral healing work that I've done, which is part of my sole purpose, how that gets passed down, how those traumas get passed down through the family lines, through our lineage, through those behavior patterns. And my father was quite brutal. He was, yeah, tough on his children, uh, tough on his marriage. Um, he had a mistress, he lied about her, drove my mum kind of crazy. And I was witness to all of that. And that's tough to go through. So it impacted me. I had my own blows with him. He, he is quite mythic really, because he cast me out. He cast me out of his kingdom when I was 16 years old. Um, I defied him and his response was, well, okay, you can leave. So I was banished from the castle at 16 and off I went into the world, the young rebel. Um, <laughs> really, my father and I are quite like, uh, quite mm -hmm. stubborn, independent. So I was okay, I'm out in the world now. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I went off to to live with uh, my boyfriend at the time, who then was also turning out to be quite controlling. So I then broke free from him. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen, yes, yeah, sort of patterns. The, the relationship I have had with my father, see, he died when I was 26. And I've spent more of my life working through my relationship with him in spirit than... Mm -hmm. I, I was able to when when I was alive because he didn't speak to me for four years. And oh, then finally, when I graduated university, he came round and was there. He was very proud of his, his daughter because I was the first one to have gone to university straight from school. And I, you know, I got myself to university. This was after I left home. So I was 16 right. doing my A-levels. So I got myself to university with no parental support. My mom did her best to keep in touch. She was there for me, yeah. but it was a bit more limited. So when I was living in Brighton, going to university, at the university where I now work, um, I I didn't have a home to go to in mm -hmm. holidays. All my friends were going back home to their parents' house, whatever. Right. I just was making my own way. So, so what was the impact on you with your father's death <clears throat> in that way? Well, when I was 26, it was hard. Um, the last time I'd seen him alive, uh, he again thrown me out of the house because we'd had a big row. Uh, so that was upsetting. I hadn't, you know, we did apologize and I did speak to him. But so he was on a sailing around the world and it was, 
he he was lost at sea way down in the southern oceans in a in a huge storm with 40 foot waves and it was all in the media so the national media the international media so i had to to kind of sit with that and i was also having to shelter my mum who was escaping she came up to stay with me because she was being doorstep by journalists and everything so it was a time of uncertainty. Obviously, we didn't know maybe he would be picked up. Uh, but as the week, days and weeks went on, it was clear that he had been lost and there was no no um, sign of his, his boat or wreckage. Um, he was that far from land. So for a young woman to then have no father, to lose your father in what had been a troubled relationship was really hard. Sure. was really hard and at the same time I was going through other personal loss and having to make some difficult decisions um which have impacted me through through my life so um it was a really tough time sure sure and and you say that you you did some healing work with your father on the spirit level since yeah. then How yeah, does, put, what, tell us yeah, about so that for a long time I had rage I held a lot of anger towards him for what how he treated his children how he treated my mother um yeah a lot of anger so I had to resolve that through my relationship with him in spirit because obviously I couldn't have a conversation with him face to face to resolve that adult to adult yeah. and we'd started to actually the day that he threw me out we we had this big row and I was starting to sort of say well you accuse me of this well what about your behavior so so that kind of carried on and it wasn't really till I turned 50 that I had I was remember sit, swimming in the sea just off Brighton and having this incredible sense of his spirit really being with me and this great sense of him saying sorry, really saying sorry for how he had been. And I felt this great wave of forgiveness. Mm. Now he, he in, in the Norse tradition, we have a, a Haminja spirit, which is the family sort of, sort of animal spirit or spirit that is passed down through the generations and I come from on his side um, a, a long line of seafarers and I felt that he was bringing me it was whale spirit that brought him to me at that point when I was in the water and Ever since I was a small child, he would be, he brought me little souvenirs from, because he would sail to the Azores on, uh, you know, races and would bring me back. You know, at that point, the whaling um, industry in the Azores hadn't completely collapsed. And he would bring me back these little souvenirs of kind of whales teeth or sharks teeth with little etchings on. Um, I've inherited this, um, I would say it's early Victorian, judging by the, the, the women's dresses, this um, whale's tooth piece of scrimshaw that was his, and I've inherited that. And it has these two women carved by the sailor, the whaler on it. Wow. Um, and I feel that he has gifted me the spirit of blue whale. So I feel blue whale is my 
my ancestral protective spirit and that has been passed to be by my father and I've written I wrote um because I've studied with Dr Martin Shaw who's the oral storyteller mythologist based down in Devon and having studied with him I wrote um a, a kind of a story um in in, in the mythopoetic uh, style of my father's death and how he then swam to me how blue whale carried his spirit to me all those thousands of miles across the ocean to ask for forgiveness and to say sorry oh that's amazing so, yeah really powerful the imagery of that and and isn't that amazing to have that mythopoetic language to be able to use around the death of your father and the and the healing journey that you've been on with that rather than just saying oh my dad died at sea and it's yeah. awfully sad and you know yeah. you've got something so much more from yeah. it for yourself and that's the interesting thing because outwardly in his sailing circles he is has been an inspiration for so many people mm -hmm. so his public persona is is very different People have written books about him. They've been inspired by him. They've sailors have sailed past and tossed as they've gone around Cape Horn, which was his great ambition that he held from a child to sail around Cape Horn and earn his right to a gold earring. Um, sailors have gone around and thrown thrown him a gold earring to the sea to his bones down there as they wow. pass Cape Horn. Wow. So he's been this tremendous inspiration to others. Yet I was witness to his shadow side. Of course, well, that's the nature that's of family. family. Yeah, exactly. But he's my father and I love him and I love, yes. Yes. I love there's so many aspects about him and I've been able to resolve in myself yeah. through relationship within in spirit yeah. some of the dark side what's his name serena harry harry mitchell harry mitchell oh. yeah and if you google harry mitchell yachtsman uh you should the stories will pop up amazing oh amazing so how do you help other people now with that do you... well um i through ancestral healing work i i my my grandmother my maternal grandmother was the story keeper of our family and as a child, I would get into bed with her and she'd tell me stories of her family and her childhood. Now, she she was born in 1906. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the sort of Edwardian period when she was growing up. And she then all those stories, my mother became the story keeper. And then my brother's a bit of, is the story keeper of the family. And he he traced our family tree way before there was all this online access to it. So we, he built a really good foundation. And then during, prior to lockdown, I'd already started to build on it further, but then obviously during lockdown, I had a lot more time to, and as many other people were, get this interest in family history really sort of, you know, blossomed. And so, I was discovering all these stories of um, my ancestors on all branches, some of them going back to the Norman conquest. And yeah, I'm on one line, my father's line, I'm descended from um, King Rollo, in, wow. uh, you know, the founding father of the Norman Vikings. In, he's buried in Rouen. And interesting, in, in Rouen, 
I used to go there a lot and to Normandy on holiday and I felt such a connection. I think it, I felt this was a heart home. There's certain parts of the world that I feel when I go there, they're my heart homes. And I felt that with Ruan, not knowing that he, he you know, it's a really deep ancestral connection to there. And then, so in uncovering my own family history and the stories that exist within that, I, been then using those stories as inspiration and to feed my own creative writing. So on my website, runesandroses.com, I've started publishing some of these stories um, and stories of he ancestral healing that I've been doing on my own family lines. And then in doing so, other people that have been tracing their family trees, distant cousins of mine have found these stories and connected with me. Also, we've connected through Ancestry.com on, on this, this database that, that many of us are, uh, are uh, members of. And it's been so healing because I've had family members, distant cousins getting in touch with me who've found stories of their family that they didn't know existed. I've had adopted um, family members, family members who were adopted and then tracing their birth family then coming across my stories that I've published and weeping as a result of re, you know, getting, you say, this has moved me incredibly. And then some family members actually then follow with being inspired to follow the pilgrimages that I had taken to find family graves and then writing that up. They then go on the same pilgrimage. And it's just, it's sort of, it weaves us all together in this really beautiful and powerful way. And, you know, some of these, these like third cousins of I, I'm friends with now. Right. And, you know, it's, 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 it's incredible. How do you find out, how does somebody trace family that easy? Cause I mean, this over the last couple of years, actually through lockdown, yeah. we discovered we had a, um, a sister that we didn't know, a half sister. Yes. That we didn't know yeah. about. Yeah. Now, that was an extraordinary thing to yeah. see, which, you know, sent years ago you just wouldn't know but you can get online now and yeah, find exactly a lot of information that yeah. you sometimes don't want to find yeah. out. I mean we're very happy to find her but um yeah so it, it's it's that that's one way of of doing these things isn't it it and is and I think people are taking DNA tests and now when when you upload your results to a database there's several but like ancestry dot com then it, it, the the algorithms can tell you um who you have dna shares with and then you can start to connect with you know, message people i see we've got a a, a a dna we share dna it's suggesting that we're cousins you know and you can start to work back and people are sharing their family trees and sharing those stories you do have to be really careful and do your checks and balances because a lot of people will get their family tree wrong and then that that incorrect information that incorrect tree then starts to replicate because people don't check the records so i'm very thorough i do a lot of checking of census records of other uh, parish documents and i know that because my brother had built our family tree before this digital world, um, he had to do the research the hard way to actually go into archives and, and see original records. And I know then um, I was speaking to a, a professional genealogy 
genealogist, I can't say the word, you know, <laughs> genealogist, that's not quite right. But anyway, um, a professional in this field. Professional. Uh, yeah, a professional uh, family historian who, um, he said, yeah, you've got to do the checks because a lot of people will make mistakes. And then people who are just copying their mm -hmm. other people's trees that they uh, will repeat the mistake. So I oh, do take good nice. caution. Yeah. And, and um, so it's so in that way, it's been it's been incredibly powerful being able to share family photos and family stories that other family, distant family members have written up. And they've written it for the wider family. Right. And we're sharing yeah. this information. And it's led to me actually going on physical pilgrimages, physical road trips to walk in the footsteps of my ancestors and to find their graves and to lay offerings and to just connect. This is where I'm from. Yes. And what's really interesting is like I always knew I wanted to, to come and live in Brighton, even from a child. And I ended up coming to Sussex University to study. And then pretty much apart from two years living and working in Indonesia, migrating back to Sussex and Brighton to live. And it's only been in the last few years I've discovered I have so many family from Brighton and Sussex. My bone, my ancestral bones are everywhere. I'm related to Martha Gunn, who's a famous Brighton Regency dipper who was friends with the Prince Regent. Um, she's a sort of local uh, celebrity in Brighton history. Um, and, you know, all these stories are, are just fantastic. And I've been, I found the gra graves of my great-great-grandparents who are buried. I'm facing over to Ho uh, Hovenport Slade, the West Facing, and I'm literally can see where they're buried um, in Port Slade Cemetery. And I go now, I go and I lay flowers for her. And yeah. I'm particularly interested in the women's stories, the men's as well, but the women, because often that's the hidden history. Yes. What have you discovered about your your the female lineage? Well, your... there's some really difficult stories. There's the story of my ancestor grandmother, Mar Margaret, Margot or Margaret, Og Robbie, who lived in Aberdeenshire in the in a, in a little village um, uh, along the River Dee, um, not far from Ballater, where the the um, the king's um, or the, you know uh, what's the the royal family have a, a Balmoral, not far from Balmoral, the little villages along the the river there, and she in fifteen ninety seven. Uh, along with her, two of her daughters were accused of witchcraft by another woman. And it was really the sort of the high, the, the, the beginnings of the mass slaughter of women as witches was beginning to take place. There had been witch trials previously, but it wasn't until James I of England, Sixth of Scotland, who he was absolutely obsessed with witchcraft. He wrote a book called Demonology, which was published, which really set the tone for the following century of, of mass slaughter of women in Scotland and the UK. And um, so Margaret Ogrobby, my, my ancestral grandmother, was accused of witchcraft and basically she'd been found um 
She'd been practicing folk magic, so folk fertility magic, using knife work to ensure a cow was, was fertilized and gave birth to a calf. She was accused of dancing with other women uh, in a circle on an old um, sort of hill fort. So things that we do today, you know, folk magic has been practiced for millennia. But here she was being accused by another woman uh, and then being seized and tried and or tortured and tried and then hung and then burnt at the stake, along with one of her daughters and her other daughter, Isabel, was banished from the area. And there is a rumour that, well, I can't verify it, that she might have been the Isabel that then popped up as part of the Lancaster witch trials. She might have moved down. So gosh, just hearing that, you know, we, we many of us have that kind of lineage that the, the things that have happened to the women and possibly the men in, in our families, our ancestors. And and, it you know, it really makes me wonder sometimes because I, I would certainly have been hung, drawn and quartered, like, you know, the kind of work that I have been doing hmm. for yeah. the last 30 years. Yeah. There's no way I would have existed in those yeah. times. But, you and know, I now, wonder. It's not something I, you know, I've got, I kind of keep my professional life, which I was talking about earlier, and, and then my my life outside quite separate because I, you know, I still feel if I talk about openly with people at work who are all very based, you know, they're all mm. research evidence-based, you know, that sort of mentality. Yeah. So I have met other, I've met, it was interesting, I was at a, a a death event at work where I met another academic who from a different school on campus who also practices as a psychopomp so I know there are academic there are many academics who uh, understand and know this work but somehow there's a part of me which doesn't openly talk about it and why is that, that? Why? It, it, but, the fear of course, it's fear, isn't it? And the, the, even if we don't feel particularly afraid of what it is we're doing or speaking about it, there's something there, isn't there? There's something that holds us back and limits us yeah. from fully engaging. And that is because of the persecution of women mm. in this period. There's a brilliant book called Caliban and the Witch by Sylvia Federici. Uh, she's an academic. She wrote this brilliant book, uh, which charts the history of the persecution of women as witches at the same time as the rise of, you know, capitalism is taking right. place and the rise of the spread of colonialism. Mm -hmm. Because not only you had the rise of the persecution of women at the same time, in the height of the witch trials and the witch murders across the UK and Europe you had the mass enslavement of, of people going on um, in Africa. So the start of the slave trade was really taking off at that same time. And there are, there, there's interlinked, it's interlinked. Now, going back to family history, this is where it can be tough when you do deep digging, because I have uncovered the story of ancestor uncles who were Scottish, who were slave traders operating out of Liverpool and they they owned boats and they were, well, actually they were in the top 200 
um, list of the most prolific slave traders operating out of Liverpool. And that is tough. Yes. It's really tough history to uncover. I feel thankful that I'm not directly descended from them, but it doesn't matter. In my family collective, in my family field, there is people who were directly enslaving and trading and growing wealthy out of the suffer direct suffering of others. My husband has found out that he is directly descended from slave traders and from plantation owners in Jamaica. So this is big. So together we've been working on this 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 big history. But I've spoken to an academic who was one of the the academics who founded the UCL. Yeah, UCL University, um, their database of um, former slave and plantation owners who got paid out reparations when slavery was abolished in the UK. And my husband's family are on that database. And speaker, she came to give a talk at Sussex about her work. And she said this, you know, the it's not it it's through the stories of people and the research of just lay people like myself who uncover their own family history and then write about it it feeds their research further so although i've kind of had to deal with the trauma of my family history and my husband's family history in this 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 abominable trade and enslavement by writing it up and then sharing it, it then helps other people trace their, it, it just feeds the collective story. And I, I believe all of us, our ancestors who were, up, who were living and working at that time of colonialism would have been some way, shape or form contributing to it. It might be the iron workers who were working in the wield you know, sort of working to 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 create, you know, the the iron or digging up the iron ore and melting it in foundries that were going to create the shackles that then went onto the slaver ships. They might have been making the iron that made the cannons that were there on the slave yeah. ship. And my 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 husband has another family member who was because they were all colo big colonialists and um, in the army they were all generals um, the building empire, but he he was actually going around um, making plans of the slave forts on the Gold Coast and we actually have some of the slave um, uh, maps of the of the forts that he was making some of the most notorious ones and he was helping to to rebuild some of them oh it's, it's, it's heavy it's heavy stuff very and, heavy. yes and you know i do feel the whole movement towards reparations i think is re a really important one especially those families who have inherited the wealth of those ancestors oh. that made their wealth out of slavery and still have access to that wealth right 
um you know a lot more families now are coming out saying no this we we need to do some sort of reparation work yeah. and in my own way it's about writing up the stories and providing that to uh, to the the academic institutions that are collecting these these pieces of family history um that is my way of kind of i guess giving back um you know, but telling the story and and isn't it so important that stories are shared and told and yeah find the truth of some of yeah experiences yeah I have um a book it's called Mills of Miserdon and that's my father's um father's side of the family and that goes right right back to 16th century and um yeah it's it's quite fascinating to read up on that but I know very very little about my mother's side of the family and that's what I want to you know really find out so how would I go about sort of hunting the information about that well I think the thing to start off with is if you have name dates of birth dates of um places they lived then I mean that's something somebody like me or a professional genealogist would be able to start to search for you and it, you 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 tr you could do it yourself if you um went online and joined something like ancestry.com or there's there's other data databases out there you have to pay a subscription but then you can start to build your family tree and it's through records like the census census records they go back to 1840 but parish records um before that, uh, if anybody was a landholder, at the, going back through the centuries, there'll be records about their, their land. Um, obviously, men, you couldn't vote for a long time. You couldn't vote unless you owned property or land, and that you know it was men. So only men who were landowners could could vote or property owners could vote. But they're all listed in 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 voting records. So that's another source. So there's lots of different sources of documents that you can start to to trace. But sometimes it can be harder to trace the women the women's line. You you have to do it to, almost through the men mm. because you get to a point. You know, before suffrage, women were we were we were owned by our by the men in our family. Jeez, of course, crazy, hey. People forget, I think young people today need to remember we've only, women have had only had suffrage for a hundred years. hundred years, that's all. You, you couldn't even buy house as a, in your own right as a woman until the 70s. You couldn't get a mortgage easily. You know, yeah. it's, so feminism is still very important. It is important, isn't it? Really important. And we are still struggling with so many things, aren't we? Absolutely. Like and around the world, women are still being, and men, are still being persecuted as witches. Yeah, and in different ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been able to help with, I mean, I'm an amateur his family historian. I'm not professional. I haven't had professional training. But I, I have this love of history, which I've had all my life. So... um. Again, I've been it because because this is a passion and part of my sole purpose. I've been able to work with friends to uncover more of their family tree, mm. and then actually journey with them on physical pil pilgrimages to the places that their family lived in in the Brighton area, 
and mm. surrounding Sussex area. So that's been really powerful. And to see and to hold ceremonies with them. I did this with a friend whose great grandmother was from Brighton and had a illegitimate child uh, in 1900 when she was 40 as a single mother. And she'd been working as a maid, a domestic maid in the big house in Brunswick Square. Um, and she, there she was, a single mother, age 40, domestic servant. She places her child in foster care, goes to work as a servant in London. And then within the year, she's taken a child and moved, migrated to Guatemala to live with her older sister and her older sister's family. And then from there to when her son was about 10 or 11, they migrated to New Orleans. Mm. And that's where Wesley, my friend's family, is from, New Orleans. And he was wanting to to trace more about uh, his great-grandmother's story. And we were able to do that. And I was able to help him with that. Amazing. Oh, that, that's so lovely. My, my, um, my maternal grandmother, she was oh. a dancer on the stage, which was hugely frowned upon in those days. Um, and... You know, I, I there are stories of her parents kind of disowning her a bit, and you know, there, there's some crazy photographs I've got yeah, of those days, and and I and I just see, I mean, there's such characters, and I think I need to know more about these. Yeah. So well, there'll be a lot of information available. So I mean, separate to this, I could I could um, you know give you some pointers. Um, you know, right. and eventually I'd like to do this more, you know, I just need more time. I work full time. and Yeah, that's <laughs> tough. Yeah, yeah. when you really want to follow your passion and what you feel is your purpose around this. Yeah. What do you think your purpose is in life? Well, as well as an ancestral healer, a storyteller, I, I, I think it's around doing that energy. It's as a storyteller, and I do that for a living, but also outside, but also as a death doula and as a psychopomp. I'm training, I'm two thirds of the way through my end of life doula training with living well, dying well. Now, I'm not sure when I complete that. Um, I hope to complete it next year. I had to pause it for a while due to ill health, but um, I think, I would like to be able to go down the route of kind of offering ceremony for people at end of life with that kind of storytelling aspect and even offering, you know, sort of services as a psychopomp because I know I have psychopomp. I have this gift to be able to journey with the spirit and the soul of the recently departed and help them cross further into the their next realm on the other side and it's I've done this several times now with my own family members and with other people who have died in traumatic circumstances so for example um, a friend of mine who committed suicide I felt to to drum for her and this this whole very profound psychopop experience took place with a woman that I knew from Mexico, she was murdered. I've got the call to drum with for her. And again, I had another profound experience. I've done it for my aunt. I've done it for my uncle. Um, and most recently my former mother-in-law and that was, she was Irish and I had a very beautiful psychopomp journey where a white stag 
took us both over to Ireland to Tara and the the earth opened and her ancestors were there to receive her and she was given the gift of a a beautiful purple cloak and a, an iron cauldron which has great significance in Irish culture and also white stag as I find out afterwards because this all comes to me and then I look at the, the the symbolism the white stag is the creature that connects people with the other worlds yes so there that was my offering to her and I, I've, I've done it for my own my my mother-in-law from my current marriage who died um yeah. really too soon and I had a whole experience with her so I write these things up often they turn into poems so I feel that that is a service that I can offer others and work for others for those that want that you know not everybody will of course absolutely and yeah. and and then the other thing I do is sort of I'm using this ability to work with space and then as an energetic space healer is to work to clearing the trauma off the land. I've done a lot of work with Sandy Humby, uh, the Rose Alchemist, who's a was a house whisperer. Nice. I think you've you've worked with her before, um, and you know I've kind of been to many workshops with her, and and I'm sort of, you know being able to develop the ability to to clear trapped and traumatized stories that the land holds. So, for example. Our block of flats uh, in Hove, uh, I spent the last two and a half years fighting two big corporates, three and e, e, mobile phone companies, who wanted to basically steal the roof of our block of flats to build a giant mast station. Well, nobody in the block wanted that. Well, they didn't have our consent. You know, we're, we have the share of freehold. The community didn't want it. Um, so I led the charge. I stepped up because I had some experience with planning battles and winning. <laughs> so to cut a long story short, we won the first round. We 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 uh got the the council to to kick out their planning application, but then they took it to appeal and it was round 2 and it uh I then I was like, oh, here we go again. And I thought, why? You know what? They've come back right at the last minute to appeal this. Well, because they can, they're big corporates. But I thought, what what more do I have to do? What 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 is the what is it about the energy, the energetic imprint of this land that is holding, that is attracting this? It felt like a parasitic energy, something, you know, 5G a parasite that's coming to sit on our our property, you know, without our consent. So I started, I wanted to know the history of the land because before our block of flats was here, there would have been a house. And there, I was looking at all the history that's published online about Grand Avenue and had histories about all the other houses, but nothing on our plot that I could find. Mm. And I just thought, where do I start? And I somehow got a kernel of a fact. And then I start, I think, and then I thought, well, I'm gonna look at the census records and, and then, I just somehow was able to trace the history of the house that stood here before. And the house was called Coomley, and our block of flats is called Coomley. And the house was built in the early 30s for a married couple. They were first cousins, um, uh, the Pierce Duff family. And the Pierce Duff 
were a big global manufacturer of, of food and foodstuffs, a lot of powdered goods, including blancmange. So maybe as a child, if your grandmother made powder, blancmange out of powder, it would have been the pure stuff blancmange because they were the biggest sellers of it. And it still exists today. You can buy it online. I've made some blancmange with it. You can, if you're not, if you're vegan, you can make it with oat milk. So it's, okay. it's good. Okay. Anyway, so, so I got this story and I, I started researching the history of Elizabeth Duff, who was the woman whose house it was that got, got destroyed to build our block of flats. And it was her spirit that was calling. Now she was a, she was an orphan. She was orphaned as a child and raised by her, uh, her aunt and uncle. And to cut the story short, but it well, what a journey. I found the graves of her parents. I wasn't looking for their graves. I was looking for her aunt's grave in the labyrinth that is High, Highgate Cemetery. The first grave I found after 40 minutes of searching, sort of not far behind Karl Marx's grave, was the grave of her parents. And I literally fell down on my knees and I felt this great, I was started weeping and it wasn't my tears, it was her tears. Wow. And I felt I did all this healing work. I was healing the land. I was finding the story, the hidden history. I took her spirit because she died at the house that on the land that we're now living on. And I did all this, re like it was a reunite, re like reuniting her with her parents and then her, ex her family, I found all their graves. So I've got all this as a story to write up, which yeah. is of interest to the local community as well. I've been speaking to local historians saying, yeah, please write it up. We'd so love to have this. So again, it's then, I was doing ceremony with the land, ceremony with her, and then we won our appeal. We won the case. Oh, so this was, yeah. so the, the reason I started talking about this was because we were still fighting to save yeah. our house, our flat from this 5G mast. And then by working with the spirits of the land and the story of the land here and doing that clearing work, I felt then let something go and we won our case. Oh, Serena, that's such a magical story. I mean, you're... I, I'm I'm full of admiration for your ability to research so deeply and to have those incredibly moving experiences when you do. I think I would have the ability to research that deeply with all that online work you must have. I love it. I love it. Do you do? I can see that you really light up when you're talking yeah. about it. So you're this storyteller, and it's not just myths and legends. It's real life stories, real people who've lived way back when and you're bringing those stories forward so are you going to write a book about all of yeah, this yeah I've got lots of writing I've got, I feel like I've got a, a knapsack a rucksack full of stories that I've gathered and mm. for me it's finding the time to Ooh. write them up and I you know I kind of I went through I had a lot of ill health last year so everything ground to a halt uh, and now that I'm kind of back and functioning again I just need to start and just step by step. I need to finish my death doula training. I also need to, yeah, start writing up these stories. 
my website, which is runesandroses.com. So that's runes, then an N and roses. Put it in there. We'll oh, you put, put it, it as a link. Okay. Yeah, okay. Roses, you, you'll see some of the stories there, and that's where I will publish. But I would eventually like to write a book and actually, you know, create an anthology of, of, of yes. all of these. Absolutely. Um, and you know and i do there's so many stories there's there's a grave i tend to adopt not only my family graves but other people's graves and there's a grave of a i've got her story which i'm going to do a talk on in uh brighton and um lewis this autumn and it's the grave of now st john montague who was a celebrity psychic and um uh, storyteller and clairvoyant as well as a world war ii spy who is buried her grave was totally sort of overgrown she's buried in a uh, bishopstone just near near seaford in this beautiful very magical to old ancient church and um i've been working with her spirit tending her grave you know cutting back the weeds and she's brought me gifts and I'm her story needs to be written up so again it's a bit out there but it's totally forgotten but a really fascinating woman oh bless you that's that's so wonderful and and you know your story no doubt will go down in history as the one who explored those people let's hope that you're 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 carried forward in some way of this this amazing woman Serena Mitchell who's uh you know, discovered so many old stories from way back when, um, such interesting stories and that, uh, yeah, we now get to hear about and you will be heard about, no doubt, in the future. I wonder how that will pan out. Yeah. Um, interesting. Oh, well, yeah, wouldn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah. The, the, the myth, the story of Serena. The, yeah. So, so, you know, you, you, you've, there's a few things that you follow and, um, and another one is is the the rune readings. You know, you you're you're full of the runes, aren't you? That's something that yeah. Now th this is an interesting. I'll try not to talk too long about it. But um, so after my mother died, and I'd been her carer for many years, and I was present at her death. It was very very profound experience. And um, anyway, the months after she died, I was having very vivid dreams, and I had these three dreams where I was given a set of runes. I'd, I'd heard of the runes, but I didn't really know anything about them. Uh, I certainly wasn't a rune reader. I'd worked with the tarot for many years, but not not the runes. So I thought, this is, I have to follow. This is a clear message. I have to take up the runes. So then I thought, well, I'm somebody I, I, I like to learn with other people. So I thought I need to find a, a rune teacher. So I found this course, day course that, of an introduction to the runes running at the College of Psychic Studies. And this is in 2018 um, by this chap called Andreas Corneval. And so I went on, on this day course, the day after having a very intense, very long um, sweat lodge in the middle of <laughs> the Ashdown Forest. So I was a bit, Ooh you know get, getting up early and I think it was a train strike so I had to get coach oh, so anyway so I got to this this and it just totally it felt so natural 
this is my oracle that I have to work with. So I've been sort of working and studying with Andreas now for five years and been to many of his ceremonies and, and workshops and high seats. And I end, then in, during lockdown, I undertook my own Uttasetta, which is the Norse tradition uh, practice, usually undertaken traditionally by women, but, but men can do it too to sit out uh, often on a mound or maybe by a tree, but a burial mound. We sit overnight and uh, with an intention and see what spirits or spirit has to, to say to you. And I, I've, again, I've written about it on my website. I did this overnight sit during lockdown up on this Bronze Age barrow up on the South Downs, which is a place of healing for me. I did a lot of work up there. And it was incredible. It was very powerful. And so that's the practice of seed, which is, um, again, working with spirit, working with spirits of the land, working, I was working with the spirit of the barrow. I asked permission first if I could work there uh, and work with, with, with the spirit there. And um, I'm now learning with Andres how to, how to craft, um, Gaudra lads, which are, are, are spell poems. So you work, you do the sit, you, you sit out, and then you will set an intention, and then you a you might have a vision, and then you, the vision will turn into a poem, and it's a particular meter, it's a particular way of writing. And then from that, that spell poem, you can then craft the runes that come from the poem and you can turn that that those runes into a bind rune hmm. so then that poem becomes a symbol and a chant so you can then chant the runes that come from the the spell poem hmm. and it's very powerful work and I've done some recently which are all about healing and um and again this is a practice which I'm going more deeply into and I can do rune readings for people uh, and I have yeah. done so uh, it's, it's so amazing Serena you've got such a wealth of knowledge here so what would your particular message be do you think for people looking for some of what you hold and interested in the ancestors or but yeah, you have to just start not don't be afraid and uh, don't be afraid to just pick up the rope and start to inquire ask the questions maybe you know, maybe just go if you know where they if you know where they're buried, go and see if you can visit their grave. I mean, so many of us, yeah, I visit so you know, graveyards all the time, these forgotten graves. Mm. Nobody's tending them and they're falling to ruin. And that that makes me weep, you know. And so maybe just start with your immediate family. Talk to people that are still alive, your grandparents, your parents, aunts, uncles. Get the stories from them. You don't have to go all the way back into the past. And there's, start with your immediate family. Those that are living that have the memories that connect us to the past, start to record those. And then you might want to go further. And there's ways of going further. Uh, you can you can work online. I mean, there's the programs on TV, like, you know, who do you think you are? I mean, there's so much available now online that you can, or you, if you've got, it can afford to, you can pay a professional genealogist to, to, to help do the work for you. Um, but I think even, it might even be as simple as honoring your ancestors 
at Sawain, you know, put, uh, cook a meal for them, cook their favorite meal, lay mm. a place for them at the table, tell their story, get out the old photos. That is ancestral healing work in practice. And it can be simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. I have um, my dressing table in my bedroom. It has my parents' little, you know, a little sort of altery thing for my parents. And I have a, a little egg coddler. My father made the metal lid for this egg coddler as part of his business. He did metal pressings and the like. And my parents' ashes are both in this little egg coddler. And they sit on my dressing table oh, with right. all their photographs around it and me as a baby. And you know, it's so precious to me. I can't possibly put it away. It's like, yeah. no, this lives with me. And their memories yes. are the necklace that my mother wore with the little photograph inside it of her parents and yeah. her, her and her husband. You know, things like that. And yeah, it's it's just, it's so, so precious, so incredible. Yeah. It's on just... my altar i have a picture of my mother and i have the whale's tooth that i described Lovely. earlier that represents my father so yes. you have you know in in so many traditions you know japanese shinto tradition that you have the ancestor altars with that you know the ancestors are kept at home yes you know yes. often in you know even african um tribes people will still bury the ancestors underneath the house we used to do that Wow. centuries ago in those counts and yeah oh bless you oh thank you for these beautiful reminders and and i really hope our listeners gain some really valuable information and inspiration from what you've shared today because uh we definitely need to re-engage with our ancestors yeah. we? and recognize where we've come from Absolutely, especially us women. Hey, I think especially. Absolutely, yeah. The, especially the women. The, the the hidden stories is bringing the stories of the women alive, and yeah. that the her story. Yeah, yeah. Not the his story, the her story. Her story, my great great grandmother's stories. I have journeyed with them quite deeply, and there, there's a very. I won't share it on online here, but there is a very particular story of their relationships with men and. Um, it's it's been quite profound teaching mm. i've had to yeah. really pay attention to because i need to know that story i need to recognize how it has filtered through into my bones and my genes and yeah. my ways of behaving and yeah because um, it does it does the generations the patterns getting passed down and it takes that conscious that conscious illumination to mm. be able to say i'm going to break ah i see that pattern for what it is and I'm going to consciously break that pattern. I'm yeah. not going to carry it and pass it down further. But that requires a lot of deep work and a lot of yeah. Um, and then you've got to put in the action. You've got to literally do things differently, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's not easy. It's not easy. No. And especially as parents, you know, I think as 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 sadly, I don't have living children, but I, you know, it's I can see as a parent you will parent your children almost as your parents parented you because they were your reference. Mm. So you have to really know, actively see what, right, my, I was treated like this as a child. I'm gonna make sure I don't behave in the same way. Yeah. Even yeah. filtered through my lens, but I'm not gonna pass this, some of these behavior patterns down. Absolutely. But that requires a lot of insight into your own personal. Yeah makeup yeah oh I, I could talk about this all day i, I, I gotta be we could just <laughs> we could just sit here and and yeah, yeah. 
that. But I'm going to I'm going to find a completion to this now. Um, okay. Maybe we'll get you on again sometime to, uh, to. talk a little yeah. bit further about it. And maybe I'll get to see you and we can talk more ancestral stuff. Yeah, so maybe talk about the ceremonies because there's simple things. People can create ceremonies. Yeah, so. yeah. That's, 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 yeah and I've done yeah. that with others before. So. Brilliant, brilliant. Yes, yeah, so important. I love ceremony. Thank you, Serena. Bless you and and really good you know good wishes on your your work and everything that unfolds from your wisdom and those people who are lucky enough to be able to connect with you through thank it. you so much thank you and to all the middle earth medicine community because it's been very much part of my journey oh, thank you so much serena that's really beautiful great all right thank you so much for listening right to the end i hope you enjoyed that podcast and remember you can be in touch with myself or this speaker my website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.